Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Women Askcast November Mailbag Edition with me, your host, Tim Stillman, and as ever, co-host Alex Ibaceta. Alex, how are you doing? Yeah, it's a bit tired, but, <laughs> but good, good, good. I channeled my, my inner Kim Little um, in a cup quarterfinal the, the other day, so I was kind of proud of that. Um, but, but yeah, tired. <laughs> the, the days of my inner Kim Little were very, very much behind me, I'm afraid. <laughs> no one needs to know that. Just just live up to it, Tim. <laughs> um, so before we crack on with our usual monthly mailbag edition, and we've got loads of really, really good and varied questions as ever, but a lot of things I'm really keen to talk about, actually. Um, just to do some housekeeping off the bat, we're going to have uh, three pods in three weeks, actually. So we've got this one, uh, the November mailbag coming out. Uh, and then on Wednesday next week, so I believe that's Wednesday, the 1st of December, we're going to have an FA Cup final preview pod. Uh, we'll get a little bit of Chelsea perspective on that, but we also have exclusive interviews with Steph Catley and Noel Maritz for our FA Cup final preview pod. And then after that, on Tuesday, the 7th of December, we'll have a Barcelona preview podcast. Um, and that's going to feature a lot of Wub and Moy. And that's another exclusive interview that we conducted at Emirates Stadium uh, with Lotta. Um, and we'll have a little look ahead to that Barcelona game, which obviously takes place at Emirates Stadium on Thursday, the 9th of December. Kickoff now moved to 7 p.m. And that's so that Arsenal don't get hit with a 10,000 cap on attendance because West Ham and Spurs are playing in very minor European competitions at home that evening. Um, so Arsenal will play in the Champions League against Barca on Thursday, the 9th of December, and we'll have a good look forward to that. So three podcasts coming up in three weeks. A uh, very busy time for Arsenal, so very busy time for us too. But without further ado, let's get stuck into your questions for the November mailbag and some really, really good ones. Um, and like I said, a variety of subjects. And the first one I really, really like from um, House of Bucci at Laguna Beach on Twitter. And House of Bucci asks, is it time for the women to have their own kit design and shirt sponsors a la La Chivas? Seems like they're lumping them in with the men. We're leaving money on the table as well as ignoring one of the team's strongest marketing avenues. Alex, what do you reckon to that? Oh, that's a lot of, of money business that I don't know enough about to, to make a, an actual comment on it. But I, I think, do think it's interesting because you obviously have, you can either have one uh, kind of a uniform um, kit and sponsor in both. And then you can do another one like Barcelona, for example, who have the same kit, but different sponsors. Um, or you have Chivas who just have two completely different things. So I think it's a matter of the clubs and how much they want to commit. It's, it's also, it's a matter of how much these sponsorships will affect what the women's teams get. So 
if the main sponsor of the men's team is happy to take over the women's team and have that same, you know, give them enough money for it to be worth it, um, then by all means. But I think it's a matter of, I think it's more a matter about the money than it is about the, the kind of visual aspect of things. Um, because it is at the end of the day, it's one club mentality that a lot of people should have. So a same kit, same sponsor, it shouldn't be, is it necessarily a bad thing? Um, it's just a matter. It's, I think it's more about behind the scenes and how much this actually commits to the women's team and how much the women's team gets from an umbrella sponsor and, and all that stuff. So yeah, I think it's, it's down to behind the scenes stuff, but I don't really see a problem with it. Um, I think it's a individual club by club basis. And like I said, it's, yeah, it's, it's more about the money as bad as that sounds. It is about the money and how much the women's team actually get out of it. Yeah, I'm, I I think this is a really interesting question because I, you've hit on it there. There's like there's two ways you can look at it. You can look at it as it's one club. Um, they should all have like the same shirt, the same sponsorship. But at the same time, there is a, a set like where do you find that sweet spot between being one club but also marketing your women's team as something separate and interesting and empowering in its own right. I think a lot of it would depend on what's already in some of the kit and shirt sponsorship deals. So I don't really know um, what it would take, for example, because obviously the, the women's kind of kit is, is all factored into that. So I don't know what it would take to extricate. Let's say someone came along with some money and said, um, we just want to sponsor Arsenal women, um, whether Arsenal would then have to pay a fee to extricate themselves or partially extricate themselves from the Fly Emirates sponsorship deal. Maybe it's something they can look at the next time the shirt sponsorship deals come up, maybe it's there's a way of parceling them out. Manchester United, well, their men's team anyway, they kind of separate out like training kit um, and their shirt sponsors and things like that. So I think there are options perhaps for doing something like that. But I think what I'd definitely like to see, and I, I think we might see, I'd love to see Adidas, for example, get get involved with something like this. And, you know, do like a, a, a particular like Arsenal women merchandise drop, uh, you know, Adidas do several a season or, or just to have more like dedicated Arsenal women merchandise in the club store. So a lot of people ask, you know, where can I get like an Arsenal women scarf? And the answer at the moment is you only get it in the membership pack if you're a member. But, you know, how, how can I get like um, like a scarf or a hat that's just for Arsenal women? for example, and, and, and I agree, That's all, all that is is just like a, a separate merchandise stream for you, basically, off the bat. And you can already see the, the number of people at games who customise their shirts with the WSL printing and, and the names and the WSL badges on the side and things like that. So, I mean, I guess that's a way of customising um, your merchandise, but I, I think the, the shirt kind of sponsorship, I think that's an interesting one. And we've also seen initiatives like... Um, West Ham, for example, like in Breast Cancer Awareness Month, they tend to wear a pink away shirt. Um, my Brazilian team, Atletico Mineiro, they did something like that recently. They had a, a pink away shirt and um, they did this thing where they said that they got so many questions about it. And they said, if we get to 100,000 followers on Instagram by the end of the month, we'll release it for commercial sales. So like there's there's little kind of activations that you can do and I would like to see a little bit more innovation in that space. I, I suspect we might, um, but we'll see. But I think that's a really good question and I think a lot of it just comes down to if someone comes with enough money to do that, I, I think it would happen. And I'm old enough to remember when Arsenal ladies were sponsored by Daily Star 
while the Arsenal men were sponsored by JVC in the early 90s. So there is precedent for it. Um, we've had some questions. I've grouped them together because they're all under a very similar theme and one I'm, I'm pretty keen to talk about, actually. And really, I, I think we can um, we can kind of umbrella them as is, is the kind of honeymoon period over uh, for Jonas Eideval. So Adam Salter at Adam Salter 4. With injuries starting to mount and Arsenal dropping points against Spurs, are we seeing the end of the Jonas honeymoon era? Um, and Eileen at uh, Eileen EST on Twitter, we have overperformed on our XG quite a lot this season, except the Spurs game, ironically. Do you think this can be sustainable in the long run, or is the quality of our chances something we should be worried about? And Highbury Librarian at N5 Librarian, given the expectation that other clubs will try to figure out a successful team, what signs can you see that other clubs are changing their approach by playing Arsenal women? And finally, um, at Ariel AWFC, very similar. Um, I'm interested to know if you think the left-sided overload that we've seen a lot in recent games is something that teams will start to anticipate um, in the same way that they did Joe's tactics. So, Broadly, all of those questions are Arsenal after a really kind of promising start being found out a little bit, maybe, maybe a little bit of fatigue showing. What do you reckon, Alex? Yeah, I think we have to say it's a lot about fatigue at this point. We've mentioned and, you know, we've been saying it since the start of the season that Jonas' style plays, it's a very high energetic, high press. You know, it's a lot of commitment that you need to to keep this style of play up and then you know with the the scheduling and and the Champions League games you know you have three games in a span of like eight days or so it's it's really hard to keep this up whether you're playing a high pressing high um, energy style play it's going to be exhausting either way because on top of that you have you know your other commitments whether it be social whether it be you know training recovery everything else that you have going on in life it's going to be tiring at the end of the day but I don't know if you can fit because you could you could see especially the left side as you mentioned there you know our strength most of the time will be on the left side when you have Katie McCabe there for example when you have Beth Mead playing on that side also you know you have that strength and then when you have obviously unfortunately um Leah Williamson is not is not here at the moment but her style of play was always switching the field across to the left side for example so the left side is very very heavily heavily you know stacked in players you have Seth Catley you know Kate McKay Beth Mead for example that like to play there I would say those would be the main threatening players but I think Arsenal have to take that next step now and kind of figure out how to keep this momentum up in the best way possible and I mean that and I don't like to make this comparison because it's so close to the game but if you look at Barcelona they are able to keep up a high intensity, good football, high scoring type of football consistently. And I think Arsenal need to do that too. And they have the players to do it. They have the style of play to do it. They have the manager to do it. It's just a matter of doing it. And it sounds a lot easier to say than, than done, obviously. But I think the honeymoon stage could be done. Um, I think when, you, when we played against Curve, for example, we saw a lot of it kind of looked like we were under Joe Montemurro again. And I mean that in the best way possible, we were controlling possession. We were controlling the ball, but we weren't just really penetrating in the spaces that we were getting available to us. And we weren't taking any chances. Um, obviously until the end, I think freedom Manum was a big part of kind of sparking up that, that style of play again. Um, but I think it's a matter of now of kind of, you know, maybe sitting down everyone and reminding them what, 
the style of play, what the expectations are and having them commit to that again, like they did in the, in the beginning of the season. I think it's a matter of getting that same commitment and motivation and everything that started at the beginning of the season that started so well, refreshing that and continuing now. I think international break came at a good time for Arsenal um, to kind of sit back and reflect on everything that's happened because yeah, since the Spurs game, it hasn't, it hasn't been a nice watch um, in general. I think the Manchester United game for both sides, I think it was very underwhelming considering the match that it was supposed to be. Yeah, against Kerr, good game at the end, but a lot of the time it just felt like Arsenal were just tiredly moving the ball around without really getting to the goal. Um, and I mean that like the actual goal of winning the game and scoring a lot of goals, but also getting to the goal period. Um, but I think, yeah, I think now it's just a matter of refreshing everything and getting back to it because obviously the next few weeks are little, little bit important. Um, but yeah, I think it's just refreshing that. And hopefully the honeymoon honeymoon stage is over now. It's just reality and they need to kind of get that back to where it was from the start. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, but I, I guess some of the kind of the, the tone of the questions is like, is it something you're worried about? I mean, I guess a bit, but I mean, personally, and I know we spoke about this on the show um, in August or September. I, I mean, I always expected this. Arsenal, you know, they made a change of manager. They had a slight change of style, and that's a surprise to everyone at first. Exactly the same thing happened when Joe came in. He came in, he changed the style, and it takes teams a while to work that out. And we said on this show, we thought, brilliant to have Chelsea and Manchester City kind of very early on, not least because we started our season earlier. And I think, I, I think we realised that that was going to be a really big advantage um, particularly the Chelsea game uh, coming first game of the season when we'd already had like three competitive games by then. Um, but that was always going to catch up with us. And I, and I think Jonas and the players have kind of said that. Um, and yes, injuries are starting to creep in as we've seen. And I think that's kind of unavoidable because you can't accuse Jonas of not rotating. He's rotated very heavily. I think, um, I think the thing is as well with this style, this kind of more high-pressing style, it's how Chelsea play. And if you look, Chelsea do have quite a lot of games where they, by their standards, struggle to break teams down. They had one against Leicester recently. Last season, they drew with Brighton. I think the season before, they drew with Liverpool. They have these games because sometimes when you play that counter-pressing style, if a team just sits back, you've got nothing to counter-press. And that does happen to Chelsea sometimes, but they usually find a way. That's the thing. That's just what Arsenal are going to have to do in those games. With Joe's style, you don't do it. Like with Joe's style, you beat all of those teams that just sit back four or five nil every single time, but you struggle in the big games. What we've got now is we've got the style to really compete and win those big games. But the payoff is sometimes against like a Kirsch, for example, who just sit in their penalty area. Sometimes that's more difficult with this style. I think the thing that makes me um, that makes me hopeful is the way that Vivian Miedema has been handled to this point, because we're really going to need her now. Um, I mean, we always need her, but we're really going to need her now. And without a big player like Leah, like you look at like Leah, Kim, Viv, that's the spine. That's like the undroppable players, and we're without one of them now. But now Viv has been held back a little bit. I'm quite hopeful that particularly with games like the cup final and Barcelona, that she can really propel this team forward. Because she had not, 
when I say she hasn't done that so far, I'm not saying she hasn't done her job, but she hasn't had to be that one-woman team, that kind of force of nature so far. But we kind of need that now, and she's had a little bit of rest. So that's one thing that makes me a little bit positive. And, and on the kind of left-side overload, I'm not worried about that because Man U figured it out um, on Sunday at half-time, and they started putting more players over there. And if you look at how the second goal comes about and our other good chances, we just overloaded the right. So, like, that, that, that's how you deal with that, um, frankly. But I, I think those are really good questions, and those are things that I've been thinking about a lot this season, about when does the honeymoon period end and how do we then readjust. Um, a couple of questions on a different vein. Uh, from First from Belinda, at uh, Belinda a underscore AWFC. Um, the FA plan to triple attendances in the league to an average of 6,000. With Meadow Park holding 4,000, what would you like to see Arsenal do if Meadow, Meadow, Meadow Park ever becomes not big enough, whether it's a move to a bigger men's ground or a full-time move to the Emirates? And on a very similar vein, John Booth at John Booth underscore 74, given the FA's plan to try and triple attendances, what do you think Arsenal's plans are given Meadow Park only holds 4,000? And do you see the plan being achieved across the league? And this is, of course, a reference to the FA strategy to get the average attendance of WSL games up to 6,000. Yeah, I think we spoke about it earlier in the season about how, you know, I think Boreham Wood is a good size for what it is now, but I do agree that we do need attendances um, racked up. But as we mentioned also before, is that it's really hard to find another ground in London in particular to find the space to build something. And, you know, Boromwood is already a bit out of the way. So if you want to get a space, you have to go even more out of the way, which obviously is only going to hurt everything that we've built up so far. So, you know, the jump from Boromwood into the Emirates Stadium is big. And even if, you know, I think the priority is to get that 4K to begin with, and then you can start racking up because I don't think we're, we're even close to hitting that 4K week in and week out and getting that. I mean, Midday matches, you know, Champions League matches, I think it was about 1.2K or something along those lines. So, you know, we're not even halfway through and filling up the stadium regularly in the game. So I don't think Arsenal have to worry about that just yet. Um, and yeah, just once they do, then you can start talking about different things, whether it's, you know, getting another deal with a team like Bournemouth, for example. But again, it's it's a big commitment for Arsenal. And if they're going to do it and they're going to commit to moving Arsenal women, because obviously you have the academy that play there as well, it's, it's a whole deal that they have with Bournemouth. So until they get that 4K, and, and I think until they're forced to, I don't think it's going to be necessary. Um, and for the FA's plan, I think it, it's going to be really interesting because obviously you have different types of grounds that can hold X amount of fans, X amount of this, but... We're not seeing it yet, and and until we do, you don't really have to worry about any of that. Um, but I think I think they can do it. It's just a matter of if how much they're going to commit to it, how much money they're going to commit to the marketing, how much money they're going to commit to the visibility. Because I think right now, the marketing is is a big issue overall in the women's game. You know, there's some games, you know, like this Arsenal Barcelona game. I mean, it's it's being marketed like crazy. It's being hyped up, amazing. But like you can't just do this one off every couple of months because these games are happening, you know, every week in the, in the, the women's super league, you know, Man United Arsenal. Yes. It didn't live up to the expectation, but that's a big game in the WSL, you know, Arsenal, Chelsea, all these big games, you know, even, even like an, 
say like an Everton Brighton or a Tottenham Brighton, for example, you know, these games are good to watch and you're not getting the same marketing for these games as, as you have for this Arsenal Barcelona side, you know, it is champions league and everything, but the WSL matchups right now, especially this season, there's so many direct competitions coming in. I mean, from third to 10th, I think the point difference is like, is no more than four um, off the top of my head. You know, these matchups are really good this season and you're not seeing the marketing for the WSL at all. You know, you have Sky Sports and everything, but an everyday life, you you could pretty much go about your life without knowing that the WSL even exists. Um, so I think it's it's big about the marketing, but in terms of ground, yeah, I don't think Arsenal are, are going to be forced into changing grounds anytime soon. Um, I think getting that 4K is going to be the first priority, as it should be. Um, and after that, they can kind of deal with it. But yeah, I don't think it's necessary for them to move grounds just yet. And odd occasion at the Emirates, but again, marketing has to has to be really tight for for that to be worth it yeah i i think there's a few things going on here i i know from past jobs that i've done when you do strategies like this you set targets like that and you deliberately set them high um because you might not hit six thousand but you might hit four thousand trying um it's like that old saying i think you know if you jump and try and hit the stars you might not hit the stars but you might hit the ceiling trying um I, so my, my understanding, I think the Boreham Wood deal runs until 2027 for Arsenal. I don't see anything happening before that, not least because Arsenal have invested quite a lot of money in that ground. I'm very dubious as to how 6,000 is going to be um, is is going to be achieved, given like Kings Meadow holds like four and a half, five thousand as well. I think like I think you've only you've got like the Academy Stadium, Manchester that holds seven thousand. I think. And then you're probably relying on like Reading, who play at the Medeski. Um and and that that seems risky to me. And Leicester, who play at the King Power, like the ones who play at their men's grounds. Um, I I can only imagine, and and I know there's Kelly Simmons references this in the strategy that the average attendances so far are massaged by the games in bigger stadiums. So by like the women's football weekend games. So like I guess if you do more of those, you can bring up an average. Um, quite a bit but I, I I definitely think you're right about the marketing as well I think we've become very good just because of where the resources available like at marketing one-off events in the women's game but we're not good at marketing the week to week and I think there's a lot that clubs could do locally there um, Arsenal could do loads in schools in Hertfordshire send players round to PE lessons and stuff like that uh, you know, send send the players to like local girls schools, you know, into PE lessons and do like that kind of na- native local marketing, get the people from the area, um, you know, and like say, do you know that Arsenal women are playing on Sunday? Because like when you go to Meadow Park, there's nothing there's nothing that tells you like there's not even anything at like Boreham Wood Station. And that's something that Chelsea did a couple of years ago. They started putting um at like Norberton and Surbiton stations like you know marketing for Chelsea women so people knew that they played there so like I think in order to get some of this like you really need to get that local um kind of marketing and and we're not there yet I I don't see how 6,000 is achievable when most of the teams in the league don't have grounds of that size unless you start putting more games in men's stadiums but when you do that you you lose that wow factor anyway and the attendances probably drop as a result whereas if, if you do it once in a while you probably get big attendances so 
I um I I don't think that's really achievable at the moment. I do understand what the FA is saying that, and I think in saying that, um, they're kind of I think their angle is okay. We're good at marketing in the big stadiums. Now we need to market in like the normal kind of stadium, as it were, or the regular stadium. Um, but like I'd I'd love for more WSL grounds to be a bit like that Barcelona ground or even Kerge. Kerge's ground, lovely, by the way, Um, in the middle of nowhere, but absolutely lovely, great facility. But they're both in the middle of nowhere. Barcelona's is right next to the airport because that's the only place you can build. And yeah, I I think it's difficult and you can't do anything at Colney because there's no public transport there. So I I think it's really, really difficult. But if, if we can... If we can start to get to that three, four thousand, yeah, I agree. Like you only ask the question when it's like we're locking people out um, regularly. But there we go. Um, next kind of questions again, um, grouping these together um, around the January transfer market. So we've got uh, Teddy Mathis at Teddy Mathis five. Do you think we need reinforcements in January? If so, in what position? Um, and then Cameron Stewart at Cam Stewart 15. Uh, what area do you think Arsenal should strengthen during the transfer uh, January transfer window? Um, and Mitza as well, sorry. Uh, Mitz, at Mitza 90 asking basically the same question, which is, do you think we should sign anyone in January? And if so, in which position? Oh, that's, I forget that January is just around the corner. Um I don't know. That's a tricky one because I think the recruitment over the summer has been pretty decent. Um, I think when we talked about it also, we were kind of satisfied with the positioning and and everything that was brought in. I would say potentially now center backs would be the only, it would literally be the only position on the pitch that we would potentially need more players. But also I think our center backs, um, obviously Leah is, is a bad injury, but then you have Jen B who is still injury prone. You know, she's come back from a lot of things and it's, it's not in a bad way, but you know, you would like to have a backup to Jen. And then I think Lotta has a, needs a bit more time to be more confident in herself and in her position in the team. Um, and I say this in the sense that I think she does really good when there's someone better next to her. Um, so when she plays next to Leah Williamson, I think it's fine because they balance out each other quite well. But then when you have Lotta and Jen, who's, you know, Jen obviously has, is just coming back I think that's not the best balance that Arsenal have right now in general. Um, I would say center back, but obviously they're they're not the easiest to come by. Um, and a high quality center back that you would need to keep up this Arsenal side, because obviously you know when you have Viv, you know scoring goals, for example, you can't really have center backs that aren't living up to the same confidence level as the attack. Um, I think center backs would be good because obviously, you know, in every position, I would say we have two starting players in each position outside of the center backs in this given moment. Um, but other than that, I think, I think we're, we're pretty decent. I'm, I'm really impressed with Zinsberger. Um, she's, she's stepped up to the plate quite a lot, especially when Yotas has come in. She's gotten a lot better with her feet. I'm not as, um, I don't hold my breath whenever she, they pass back to follow her. And sometimes yes, but it's not as bad as it was the past couple of seasons. I think, our goalkeeper situation is, is quite decent. You can tell both keepers have been practicing a lot with their feet, which is, which is really promising. And yeah, you know, the wingers, the forward, obviously, you know, we still don't have a direct replacement for Viv. When you look at that, that number nine striker, so that could potentially be it. Just, you know, not having the alternative would be just to have 
a pure nine that stays in the box, poaches the balls. You know, we don't, we don't have that player because obviously Viv is that player, but also she's a player that drops back. So potentially would be, you know, the complete opposite of, we know Jonas is, is big on his finishing starting 11, as big as, as a starting 11. So if we, ha- we would get a striker, that would be that really high, very, you know, I hate to say it, but like very st- stereotypical striker of just putting the ball in the back of the net, no matter what, that could potentially be good. Um, those are the, yeah, those are two of the positions that I would say that we could benefit I'm not saying we necessarily need it, but we could benefit from it um, a lot if we do get players in that position. Yeah, and that's um, I'm, I'm going to introduce a, a question um, from Leontine Dawn as well, at Leontine Dawn on Twitter. Do you think we need a real striker as backup for Viv instead of uh, Caitlin, Keats or Beth? I think first off on the January transfer window, I don't think anything will be done. I would personally hold off. And the reason I would hold off is just because um, there are there are still some contractual situations um, coming up, and I think we need to see how they're going to shake out first. So obviously, we don't know at the moment whether Leah Williamson will extend. We don't know whether Vivian Meadham will extend. Um, we don't know whether Jordan Nobbs will extend. I think Jen Beattie and Vicky Schnaderbeck's contracts are up at the end of the season. I believe Caitlin Ford's is up at the end of the season as well. So I think we'd have to sort. We'll have to be in a. We have to know what's going to happen with some of these players before we go back into the market. I do think I do agree with you on the centre back, um, though, and and definitely, definitely, I think something will be done there next season because uh, Jen Beattie and Vicky Schneiderbeck's deals are up. Um, I would guess that Vicky's won't be renewed. Jen's might. Um, but I think what we've got at the moment, we've got three centre-halves, very experienced, good centre-halves, but all with questionable fitness at the moment. So Jen, Vicky, Simone Boy, I'm not sure how long she signed for, actually. All, all good centre-backs, but um, I mean, maybe A, there's a lack of speed there um, at the moment overall, but uh, maybe not so much when you've got Lotta and Leah, but I, I think the kind of plan was that you know, Vicky, uh, Jen and Simone wouldn't necessarily be relied on um, or at least, you know, because they can't really play three games a week or so it seems at the moment that the three of them would almost make two players. Um, and But now Leah's injured, that maybe exposes um, that situation a little bit. But I think there will definitely be some kind of centre-back coming in uh, in the summer. It also depends on how Anna Patton's seen. She's playing back up right back at the moment, but she has been principally a centre-back in her career. And, and it's just a case of whether she's seen as a centre-back long-term. And if she is, then that would mean we'd need another right-back. As for the striker situation, I'm personally quite relaxed about that. I do think Caitlin Ford is a decent backup striker. Um, and she's actually been getting a lot of minutes there because uh, Jonas has been subbing Viv and resting Viv for games. I just think um, trying to find that sweet spot between finding a really good striker and a striker that wants to play back up to Vivian Miedema is probably an equation that doesn't really go. I mean, if you could get, I don't know, like um, someone like Ellen White towards the end of their career or like a Paulina Bremer um, from Wolfsburg who who played that role for Man City but then wasn't happy with it and went to Wolfsburg. You know, I, I think it's very difficult when you've got a striker like Viv. And again, 
you know, we don't know if Viv is going to extend yet, so we might have to address that position on a more long-term basis because if she goes, we're going to have to buy like a really, really good striker um, to replace her. So I, I think we need a bit more clarity there. I'm, I'm personally, I'm kind of relaxed about Caitlin and Keats um, as backup strikers, to be honest. I think Caitlin's played quite well um, during this period where Viv's been out or, or been rested. So I, I kind of think that's all right. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. But here's a question about another one of our forwards who used to be a centre forward but isn't anymore. And this is from AWFC um, San Antonio, who is at SWVGLord1 on Twitter. If Beth Mead continues at her current rate and still puts up the numbers, should Arsenal renew her contract or still hold out uh, until the summer? That's a tough one because, Tim, you alluded to it. There, there's so many contracts up this summer that I think a lot of it is dependent on that. And it's not just, you know, player-player relationships or like, you know, I want to play with Beth Mead, I want to play with Vivian Miedema, for example, and, and those kinds of things. But also if Viv goes, if Leo goes, you know, you have to structure a whole new, I wouldn't say style of play because the style of play would be similar, but it's, it's, it changes so, so many things. And I think, you know, as much a player like Beth Mead, I would have her on my team any, any day of the week, you know, especially with the way she's performing this, you know, this season, her numbers are ridiculous. And, but I, I, I don't know if that's, that's never going to be always enough to renew a contract when there's so many other factors that you have to worry about. And that's, that's not on a football perspective. That's just, you know, on negotiations, on money, on, on contracts that that's out of control, but you know, in an ideal world, you would have Beth Mead renew her contract. You would give her a new contract right away with the way she's performing. And, you know, she's so young. She, she can keep this up for another couple of seasons and picking up those numbers and picking up those goals. And, you know, obviously she, she's slotted in really well with the way that Jonas wants to play. And she's played with these players for so, so long that you see that chemistry on the pitch and it's just paying off right now. Um, but I think, yeah, in, in the real world, sadly, I think her contract will be dependent on, on a lot of things. Um, and I think that's just the way Arsenal will be this this season, as you mentioned there, Tim, about the striker and, and defensive and all that stuff. I think there's a lot of things in the air that have to get settled before you have a solid kind of plan going forward. Yeah, I personally, I would be surprised if 
this isn't something that Jonas is surfacing. So I don't think there's any immediate need um, to extend the contract, but we know he likes playing Beth Mead, right? And it's understandable because he's moved to this high-pressing style and that really suits Beth. She's so good at that. That's that's like probably her number one strength is is pressing um, and intercept. Like she's got her interception numbers are like centre-half good, um, basically, which is such a big weapon. And when you look at the minutes played, she's in the top five for minutes played. She's like up there with Kim. Like he has a lot of options at wide forward, but Beth is not a player he rotates that much. And that shows you he values her. And I think she's really enjoying being at Arsenal. And she's, I think she's really found her place um, at Arsenal. She's found her place in this team. Um, like I say, I don't think there's an immediate rush, but I wouldn't be surprised if Jonas is not already asking the question i guess um what, what i'm i'm implying some of the tone of this question is sometimes it's dangerous to negotiate a contract with someone at the top of their form um because you want to see if that form holds and jonas he referenced this actually quite nicely he was asked about beth a couple of weeks ago in a press conference and he was asked about her form and he said the the kind of I'm paraphrasing here, but he said like the aspiration for Beth is that no one talks about her form anymore. Um, and he kind of said like, because she's playing like this because she can do these things that means she can do them. So like, why, why would she be in bad form if she's this good? And, uh, and it made me think of players like Kim Little, Leah Williamson. No one says like Leah Williamson's in great form. Like she's reached a level of performance where people just know she's somewhere between good and brilliant all the time. Same with Viv. No one says Viv is in good form. No one says Kim Little's in good form. And so I, I guess you could say there's a danger about negotiating a contract and seeing, but I, I do think Beth has been performing at a good level for quite a long time now. And um, yeah, I, I personally, I, that that's one. I mean, there are more urgent contracts, but I, I wouldn't mind seeing that at all. And like you say, she's at a great age um, at the moment. And one of the things I've really loved is how she's responded to the level of competition I think that really showed that that's when you sort out who a big club player is when you introduce that competition into their position and you see how they respond and her response has been top class so that to me says that what we've got here is is a really top class player so for me why not let's do it give her the new contract um so th this is this is a question actually you you kind of referenced this already it's from Mo Ryan McGavock who's at Ryan McFizz on Twitter Joe always described Manu Zinsberger as world class but it's fair to say she split the fan base in past seasons with some of her clangers a touch of the Almunias question mark with her established as number one she's looked quality where would you rate her compared to other top goalkeepers. Oh, don't put me in that situation. <laughs> um, she's she's an interesting keeper because I don't I wouldn't put her next to the top keepers, just because I think she does come up with a few good saves. But you know, when you compare her to a Sandra Paños to a Cristiano Enler, I don't think she's I don't think she's at their level to say it very bluntly. Um, I think I do think she has improved a lot over the past year. I would say. I mean, she's come up with a lot of blunders, but she hasn't done that this season um, that much. You know, I am a lot, I'm not completely calm, but I am a lot calmer 
Um, when they pass the ball back to her, she's gotten a lot better with her feet, which I think was one of her biggest problems. And when you got the ball back to her, especially under Joe, for example, who wanted to play out the back. And even under Jonas, when you need to, you still need to move the ball fairly quickly under Jonas to get the ball up and find the spaces and stuff. But she's gotten a lot better with her feet. And I respect that a lot. I think that that came when Lydia came. Um, Lydia Williams is a very experienced keeper that can easily could have taken that number one spot, I think. Um, And again, the way Zinsberger kind of reacted to her coming in, I think, and I don't think that's much, I think it was more professional competition than actual competition because I think they get on really well and they both appreciate each other and they kind of push each other and they learn a lot. But I think Zinsberger has definitely learned a lot off of Lydia. I think Lydia has a lot to offer on that front and she has improved a lot. Yeah, I, I wouldn't write her against the, the top keepers right now, but she has improved a lot. And at the end of the day, she does she's still at the level to be able to play for an Arsenal side. You know, she's not, I'm not saying she's like lower tier goalkeeping, you know, she's still at the level to play for an Arsenal side, um, which is a pretty, really good level. Um, but I think she, she has come a long way from the past couple of seasons. I'm a lot calmer when she gets the ball back to her feet and everything. And I think she's come up with really good saves this season so far. She's definitely stepped up to to the challenge and hopefully she just keeps getting better and, and more confident. I think confidence was also a big part of that. And she looks a lot more confident on the ball. And I think once she just, I mean, in the next year, we're probably going to, we might be able to say the same thing of, you know, she's improved so much. Um, you know, when you're in this competition, you know, with Chelsea and, and Barcelona coming up back to back, you know, she needs to step up. Like she's, she's a very vital role against these teams that you know are going to attack that no, you know, they're going to get shots on target. That's inevitable. Um, so I think she, she has lived up to it, but I don't think she's one of the best in the world. Um, I definitely don't think that, but I do, I, I do rate her. Um, and I am, I would say I'm proud of her, <laughs> the advancement that she's done. Um, but yeah, I think, I think she's good. She's good enough to play for an Arsenal side. So that says a lot. Yeah, I, I completely, I, I think she's had a good 2021 um, overall, but I agree she's gone up another level this season. I think that's a really interesting point about um, Lydia um, and what, what that's done for her to have a more experienced keep around. And uh, and look, this is stuff we'll never really know for sure, like about Lydia or just having the confidence of being number one and not being you know part of that rotation so much that we saw with Joe, um, because that, that started to happen to her at the end of her time at Bayern. Um, as well and and like frankly I I got the idea and didn't think it was a bad idea at all of Joe's like to rotate the goalkeepers based on what they do with their feet Um, I I think that's kind of fine but would you do that to Anne-Catherine Berger Um, would you do that to Christiane Andler probably not you you just play them because they're brilliant and um, and that's that's like you're right like I think she's gone up a level Again, I don't know like where to pitch her um, in terms of like the world stage. I think in the in WSL terms, she's coming into that like you know top three, four goalkeepers, which I wouldn't necessarily have had her at before. Um, but I think you know with up there, you know, you look at the the best in the in the division. I think are Ellie Roebuck and Anne Katrinberger, um, and I, and I think like she's maybe overtaking that that middle spread of goalkeepers in the middle of the league which is which is where we where she should be and so for for manu i think the interesting thing is how much does she keep improving and it's the same as saying about beth like this this like we have to stop like we'll know she's gone to another level when we don't talk about her form anymore 
but I think uh, I think you're right. There's there's something she's transmitting um, where you don't panic quite as much um, at the moment, and whether that's down to experience or just trust or or having someone like Lydia there. What will be really interesting is what Arsenal do in the goalkeeper section in the summer because Lydia's contract is up. I'm not convinced that that will be renewed or that she'll necessarily want to. I think she'll probably want to go back home. Um, you know, does Fran Stenson become that second choice keeper? But she hasn't been playing a lot of football. Do we get someone else? And if we get someone else, do we get someone like Lydia again? Or, you know, at what stage does Manu become the senior goalkeeper um, in terms of experience? So I think that's really, really interesting. But she's another one to me who's who's definitely gone up a level um, this season. Um, so next question, a couple of questions um, together, actually. And again, I think this is really, really interesting because we've just had a North London derby. Um, I was at the Manchester United game on Sunday and there was like a, a de facto away end behind one of the goals, a couple of hundred Arsenal fans there. And then, of course, we saw in, in Kerj, thanks to Arsenal Denmark and Arsenal Sweden, we had about 500 Arsenal fans behind the goal and a proper away end. So... And, and this is a discussion I think that's been happening a lot on social media about the culture around women's football and how much, um, how sustainable it is for it to just be like a family sport. And, you know, can we keep it like that and grow the game? Can we keep getting a bit antsy if someone swears in the crowd, like without wanting it to go fully like men's football and just become really vicious and poisonous? Like, where are some of those sweet spots? So, a couple of questions. First one from um, Ritz at Ritz767. The past few away games, the fans have sounded amazing on the broadcasts, whereas at Borehamwood it seems quieter. What do you think can be done to help increase the atmosphere there? And uh, from Mohammed uh, Makaidi Isa at uh, Jazz Mary PHY um, on Twitter. With fans getting louder and louder, especially in the most recent North London derby, is it time to think about having dedicated away segregation as a means to boost atmosphere and rivalry? And how sustainable is a family-friendly label for the growth of the women's game? I think I personally would like to see that segregation of away fans and home fans, not for any other, you know, it's not obviously in the men's game a lot of times, it's because of safety. Um, in this case, I think it would be for amplifying the support and the noise and the atmosphere. Um, I think it's more about that, especially when we're talking about, you know, these low attendances. If you have all the Arsenal fans together, for example, if you have all the, for example, the, the other night at Koge, Ko had, had a decent following there and it was, it was a really good atmosphere, but they weren't sat together. So they weren't able to amplify their voice as much as they could. Um, and they were, you know, these are like, these are like Viking people. Like they were, they were screaming, like they, their voices could be heard. Um, so if you sat them all together, that would be a whole another different atmosphere than there was there, for example. Um, and I was sitting, so I was sitting in the same row as Maria. And then I had all the Koga fans behind me. And obviously Maria was doing her, her usual chants and everything. There was a few kids in front of me that were kind of helping her around that. And this kid was loving it. Um, and then the Koga fans will obviously, you know, yell, uh, their chance, and then at one point it got a bit cheeky, and they started replicating our chance with like their own their own um, kind of things. But it was, it was all fun and games, but that rivalry is still there. Is still there. So, you know, it is possible to have a fun atmosphere without it getting you know vile, like being vile and violent. You know, this is that was a perfect example. Like 
there was a clear division of where from, you know, we're Koga fans or we're Arsenal fans. There was a clear division. There was no like, you know, they were complaining when Arsenal were doing well or, you know, all these things. Like there was a, a very clear division of what fans, what team you supported, but it wasn't nasty. It was just, you know, you, you get used to that rivalry and it's, it's a sport, you know, it's a competitive professional sport. So if you're going to these games and you're not expecting that competitiveness and that rivalry, then you need to start get used to it and start taking it a bit more seriously, perhaps. And I don't mean that in the bad way. It's just, it's a professional sport and you know, your Arsenal fans, whether it be long-term, short-term, but the concept is that you support the team and then you're playing against another team that have the same kind of supporters. So you're going to clash either way. Um, so I think it should definitely be a thing to start segregating um, the fans just to, to amplify the voices and the atmosphere, because as I said, you know, in the women's game, we haven't really gotten that. And you're starting to see these attendances are slowly increasing. And when you have those away fans, it becomes a whole different game. Um, even, you know, in the Spurs game, for example, if they would have segregated all the Arsenal fans to the Spurs fans, that would have been a completely different atmosphere, I think. Um, but, it, you know, and whether it alludes to like an ugly version of, you know, whether it goes to the men's game, that's, I think that's, entirely down to the way that I don't think that's necessarily up to the fans. I think that's the way that, that the game is controlled because for example, in the men's game, if, if these, all these problems of racism of all these chants of all these things would have been handled a lot earlier at the root of it, then it wouldn't have happened. Um, I think women's football has the advantage that we're still at the beginning of stages and everything. So everything that we do right now sets up everything that's going to happen in the future. So if we set up that friendly atmosphere of rivalries, yes, please, but don't make it ugly. You know, don't say anything, you know, to the players, don't be, you know, don't say anything that would offend the players that offend people next to you. You know, if we set up that president, if we set up that foundation now, it can lead up to a very, very good thing. And it doesn't have to turn into the men's, but you can still keep that rivalry of, hey, we scored a goal like in your face, you know, in a very nice way. But I think, yeah, I think the segregated stuff could be really good. And, and I, d I don't think it has to elude. I think it's, but I think that has to be a unison kind of goal for a lot of different organizations to kind of come together and make sure that it doesn't turn into that. Um, but I would love, I would love a way. And um, I think it's really fun. Yeah, I, I completely agree. They're kind of happening anyway. Um, and I know like the Chelsea Women's Sports Group do a lot of work around this. Usually they, they just kind of say, well, let's all buy tickets in the same area. Um, and I know the Arsenal Women's Sports Club do this. Like, that, And that's what happened at Man United, right? Like, it wasn't, it wasn't by accident that a couple of hundred Arsenal fans ended up in the same area. <laughs> it's, it's just like it was choreographed to some extent. So, um, like, so the what that tells you as well is that the fans want this and you're right. It's not about, um, yeah, it's not about safety reasons. Like there isn't like a line of stewards or anything. Like, I don't think that's needed. I don't think anyone's going to throw bottles at each other or anything. It, it is about just sitting together and getting those songs going. And, and what was great about that at Man United on, uh, on Sunday is, you know, United, they have fans that sit together and sing songs and stuff like that. And they all sit together like, cause, and it's, it's for that reason because they're like-minded and they want to get that that kind of going and you get great things like um you know the, i love the, the chant she's red she's white she loves the vegemite uh for caitlin ford like just stuff like that that we don't get enough of in the women's game 
I personally, like, I'm not worried about it becoming like the men's game or that toxicity coming into it, because I think the people, certainly that I observe, that are responsible for that are men's football. They're not coming to women's football anytime soon. Like, they're just not. Okay, like um, th- those types of people, I, I just I don't think they're going to be turning up at Meadow Park. Um, like it's it's a, they're going to be like the last people to come to women's football, I think. So like I I'm not too worried um, about that. And and on the kind of is the family friendly thing sustainable? I think it is because like, but it doesn't have to be just families, like. We know we're talking about segregation, like of away fans and things like that. You can easily have a family enclosure as well, and and it can be bigger than the one, like proportionally than the one at the Emirates, because the one at the Emirates is like quite small. You can make a whole stand, like the family enclosure at Meadow Park or other grounds or something like that, because it's it's more family. And that's not to say that if your families, you have to sit there. It's just like an option, almost like I don't know, like the quiet carriage on a train or something like that. Um, which is not to say that like families would definitely be quiet and not join in with the atmosphere or anything, but but I, I think we are going to have to get to this stage where there's atmosphere created and there is a bit of a payoff with that. Um, and 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 of course the thing is with atmosphere as well. Like a couple of people who've asked this question, you know, they're they're watching on broadcasts and the fans are a big part of that. And one of the things I think where women's football suffers as a product is the lack of like noise basically because what you want is you want you want like for it to matter so if you've got like an engaged uh set of fans while you're watching it on tv as well like wonderful that is all part of it that is just as big a part of selling the quote-unquote product as the players on the pitch like hearing people celebrating hearing people singing player songs and that gets people going because I think what we've got as well is a bit of a standoff between, um, you know, like Sky are looking for times um, for, for to broadcast these games um, at, at good times. And there is a tension there because the best time to televise a game is not necessarily the best time for fans to go. And, you know, we're talking earlier about attendances and how much does increased TV coverage have an impact on that um, and some of the scheduling because... Like Sky have to do that because if they put it on Sunday at three o'clock, it's going to clash with the Premier League game and it's going to hit the audience. So there's there's lots of these factors, but I think a massive selling point would be like better atmosphere, you know, segregation of away fans. Away fans are doing that anyway. They're segregating themselves. They're getting together. So why not just make it easier for them? That would be that would I I think that's one of even before we start thinking about the numbers. Like that for me is like the next big challenge for like to to create a little bit of atmosphere um, at some of these games. And I think if you do that, you attract people to come to the games anyway, because you make them believe, oh, wow, if I go there, you know, that's going to be fun. I know people who went to Kerj who don't usually go, who then went to Man United on Sunday because they were like, wow, that was really nice to be part of like, you know, to be part of something there. So yeah, sorry, that, that was quite a long answer, but it's something I've, I've thought about a lot, especially since that game in Denmark, which I just, I, I loved. I loved seeing that, like, that big away crowd. A um, couple of questions to finish off. Um, this one, actually, sorry, I, I think I, I got the, the individual's name wrong um, on, who asked the last question, Mohammed. Mohammed actually asked this question. 
um, a more tactical one. What do you think of our left-hand side when we play Catley and McCabe together? For me, I think McCabe is more effective at left-back, which gives her the drive to overload. Catley, for me, sometimes slows the build-up and can be one-dimensional. I think she is more effective from deep, i.e. left centre-back. That's a bit of a hard one. Um, I do agree that McCabe and Catley still have a lot of adjustment to do to to kind of get used to playing together. I do think I do think Steph Catley ha- is the kind of player that has the ability to to go up and attack. Um, whether I think she's been doing it particularly smoothly enough with Katie McCabe, I don't think so. Um, but I think that's just down to. They haven't played together that many times. You know, we've mentioned about the rotation. You know, sometimes it's Beth, sometimes it's Katie, sometimes it's Caitlin. You know, there's there's different left wing options that I don't think they've played enough together for it for it to be kind of very fluid. Um and at the same time, I think the teams that you would want to see it against, I don't think Steph Catley would have as much freedom to go up as as you would want her to. Um, so, for example, you know, against a team like Chelsea, against a team like Barcelona, if Steph Catley leaves that space, they will exploit that off their first touch once they get possession back. Um, so I think it's a, it's a mix of everything. But down the left hand, I think I do personally like Katie McCabe as left back and then Beth Mead on the left. I think that's our most kind of efficient attacking formation on that left side. Um, and I think that's just down to chemistry. I think Beth and Katie have a great chemistry on and off the pitch. Um, Steph Catley doesn't have that yet with Katie on the pitch. And I think that's affecting it just a little bit of living up to the complete potential that it could be. Um, and yeah, of course, you know, Steph Catley has played center back um, a couple of times and potentially that could suit her a bit more because she does have, you know, a banging left foot to ping out uh, across pitch um, long balls. Um, I would be interested actually to see her play in that position just to see what she can do because I think she has a very similar style of confidence on the ball as Leah Williamson in terms of taking the space forward and then pinging that over with absolutely no problem. And we we all know what she can do with her left foot. I mean, you saw that free kick that she did. Um, you know, it was perfect in every angle. Um, so it should be interesting, but I think based on where they are now, in their chemistry on the pitch. I think Kate McKay Bethmead is, is kind of the best combination on down the left side. Um, though I I do really enjoy Katie playing on the wing. Um, I think she brings a lot because if you're doing this high press, she's obviously a defender. So she knows how to close that down. And if you have an even better defender behind her, you know, that's just gonna be a, a double whamming on the high press. Um, so I think this high press does suit Katie a lot on the wing. Um, but I think she can do just as much damage as she does fullback. So I would say, yeah, Beth and Katie would be my go-to, but I would say give Steph Catley time, and I think she'll live up to that that expectation that we all have of her. Yeah, I so prior to Sunday, I kind of agree that the Catley-McCabe thing hadn't quite worked on the left just because they're very similar players and they like to attack the same spaces, and really what you want is one to come inside and one to overlap. And I think we saw in the Everton game, Katie played left-back and Tobin played on the left and I, I think that's that's got a lot of potential um, but likewise I think Tobin and Catley would have a lot of potential because Tobin comes inside a little bit more on her right foot I think you get that natural overlap I do think 
Well, at least I hope. I think there was a bit of a breakthrough against United on Sunday. I thought it really worked against United. The, and, and actually, it's more of a triangle over there. So you have Catley and McCabe, and then um, usually Frieda Marnham kind of comes over and they make a little triangle. And, um, and that, that's, it's that triangle that, that's, um, that's, that's really, really interesting. So I, I kind of agree until Sunday that I don't think it had been brilliant, but I thought it was brilliant on Sunday. And I really hope that that's just because they've done it a few times. But I'm really interested to see when Tobin comes back in, because I think Tobin with either one of those left backs on the overlap could be really, really dangerous. Uh, or Mana as well, because Mana comes inside as well. And I think those are two players who, when they come back from injury, could freshen this team up a little bit. And, you know, we've had some questions about whether the honeymoon period's over, whether people have worked us out. Like, I do think if, if we can get Tobin and or Mana back into the team, we can we can do something a little bit different with those players. Um, final two questions. Uh, this one from Yana at Yana DW underscore. We almost never play with the same midfield two games in a row, and I feel like it's affecting the team. I know Jonas likes to rotate, but it seems that he hasn't figured out his preferred midfield yet. Do you think there's a bit too much rotation in that area? I think the saying that he hasn't had, like figured out his best midfield is a bit misleading. Um, just because he he, I think he's smart enough to know what his best midfield is. Now he's not going to use that every single game, just like Joe did, for example. Joe is the kind of man that you would predict to start in eleven. Um, I think Jonas is a bit more flexible in the, in the fact that he prioritizes. He knows every single player's individual strengths and what they can do, what they can do, what it's not not even what they can do because I think everyone can do everything, but a matter of who does it better and who can fit the more tactical approach to, to every team. Um, so I don't think it's about playing a steady midfield throughout the team, because we've talked about it before, you know, Frida Manum, Leo Valti, Kim Little, Jordan Nobbs, Manabibuchi, you know, they all have a very, 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 very different style of play when you look at them individually. Now, I think they're all good enough to be able to adjust to, to different, having different players on the pitch in that midfield. Um I think they're all experienced enough. I think, you know, Frieda Manon would probably be the youngest um, out of all of them. So when you have Kim Leovalti, you know, Jordan Obbs, even Mana is already a really experienced player at a, at a high level. Um, these players are good enough to be able to adjust to that. And I think if Jonas has implemented that from the start, that he will pick the starting 11 based on what he wants to do. And if he explains that to players, I think that's completely okay. Um, I don't think playing different midfields will have a big of an, of an effect as it will do if it's perhaps, you know, different if it's just a coach rotating players without any really, you know, style of play or, or very vision or he, if like the manager doesn't really tell the players why they're switching. Um, and I think Jonas is a very straightforward person that he would explain every single game why, the, why you're getting picked and why you're not getting picked, for example. Um so I think the player rotation in the midfield shouldn't affect Arsenal that much in theory. Um, is it? Maybe a little bit. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't think it will be a big problem in the long run. Um, I think players have adjusted really well to Jonas' style playing and they know what he expects from them. You know, we mentioned if you want to be more defensive, 
play Leo Valti if you want to be more attacking. You play Frida Manum, um, Kim Little, for example, Mana for um, just to put another one. You know, these these midfield players are they're experienced, very professional players that they know what is expected of them. And as long as that continues to happen, um, I don't think it should be a problem. I think our midfield is probably one of the strongest kind of, I think it is the strongest on, on what we have just because of the different styles of players and how much we can adjust to the other team. Um, and I'm not saying that's a priority, but it is a big factor when you're looking at playing different styles of team at different competitions. Um, it's big. So no, I, I don't think the rotation in the midfield has been a big impact. It can be yes. Cause that's just, you know, players are human beings and, you know, change and, 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 Obviously, when they're comfortable, they're comfortable. And when there's change happening, it could maybe throw them off a little bit. Um, but they are professional players. And I think everyone knows what's expected of them. And I think they've all kind of given into that to a certain extent. Obviously, I can't really say individually how much the players love Jonas and, and whatnot. But I think it, it should be fine. The rotation in the midfield is, I think, is more down to tactical approaches to, to the opposition. Yeah, I, I I largely agree with that. I think there's a trade-off here. I do, I do think there'd be a value in having a more regular midfield, but then you're leaving out one really good midfielder quite a lot. Um, and with the kind of the game load as well that, that we've got, I think rotation is necessary. So I think there is a bit of a trade-off. I think what the, there's two things I'll add to this answer. One that's really interesting to me is Leah Volti was rotated a lot more but she started uh, earlier in the season. She started the last four games now. I think a lot of that has to do with the uh, the absence of Leah Williamson. I think without Leah Williamson, Leah Volta's distribution from that area of the pitch becomes more important. So I'd say she will be rotated a bit less um, in the in the kind of upcoming period until Leah Williamson's back. The other thing, I mean, for me, I still think Jordan Nobb should play more. And actually, I guess my, my answer would be, I think the midfield should rotate a bit more. And the reason for this is I don't think Jordan Nobbs is getting enough minutes. And uh, Kim Little's played more minutes than any other player this season. And, and I get that. Like, Kim's a really important player and she's the captain. But I, I would still maybe rotate her more often than Jonas does um, to get Jordan in there. Um, and actually to get them in there together, I do think... Um, you know, they've played together for so long. So I, I'd like to see Jordan play more because I think um, Jordan's quality has just kind of been forgotten about a little bit because of injuries. Um, and I'd really like to see her get more of a run because I think if you give Jordan four or five games in a row, you'd look at her and go, yeah, she's as good as Kim Little is. She's a different player, but she's as good. And I do believe that. And um, And then you start thinking... Yeah, maybe I rotate her less. And then I think it's about what happens behind them between Leo Volti and, and Frieda Marnham. That that would be my tweak, personally. I guess I'm saying maybe I rate Jordan Nobbs more highly than Jonas Eideval does, which is not to say Jonas Eideval doesn't rate her because he does play her, he rotates her in and out. But I I think Arsenal are always better with Jordan in the team, personally. Um, but that's just me. Um, let's finish on this one. I think this is a really good question to finish on um, quickly uh, from Ben Harrop at Ben underscore Harrop one. A question for all of you, please. Which player has impressed you most this season? Freedom Manum. <laughs> that was quite easy. Um, I mean, I think we have, you know, a really, really, really good squad, but 
in terms of, and maybe it was because I didn't know much about Frida Manum before. Um, and she kind of came in and she's like, yeah, this is me. This is how good I am. Um, but it's, it's, she's really impressed me and how confident she is for a very young player. Um, she, I mean, her ball skills are ridiculous. Her confidence take on players is amazing. And her calmness on top of everything is ridiculous. You know, it's that calmness and the confidence put together. That is a really rarity of a find. Um, and in her position, you know, that midfield position is a really hard position to be really good at. And she's done that so easily. Um, and I think on top of everything, the way she's affected the Arsenal attack has been really positive. It's only been positive. And obviously we mentioned, you know, her rotating with, with Leo Valti and it's just everything put together between the confidence, the calmness, the ball skills, the everything put together. I mean, she's, she's been amazing for Arsenal. That's the only way I can put it. And when you look at her age, you know, if Arsenal take this seriously, she can become an Arsenal player to the core. If, if they use her properly, if they, you know, build on that whole thing, she can be here for a long time and she can have that positive impact like a Kim Little, like a Leon Tim, like Jordan Nobbs, you know, she can have a really, really positive impact and become a really big part of the team. Um, I think, you know, obviously there's, there's other players that I can talk about, but I think Freda Manum has been my, my biggest standout performer um, of a newbie coming in. Um, she's blown me away and she's easily become, you know, one of my top players um, in Europe at the moment, just because she has a lot of characteristics that are really hard to come by and she's nailed it down at such a young age. And it's just, it's, she's really impressed me so far to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely impressed me as well. I think, um, a few names come to mind. I mean, we mentioned Manu Zinsberger. We've spoken about Beth Mead. Um, Leah Williamson, I think, has gone to another level this season. I think I think she's hit world-class bracket, you know, maybe top three in her position in the world. But the player that I'm going to say, because we were we were asked um, just before the season started, who's, who's going to be the McCabe of this season? And, uh, and I said Noel Maritz and... I, I think Noelle Maritz has been outstanding. She's She's been everything you want in a right back, which is like seven or eight out of ten every week. And I think that job, her understanding of her job as well, where Arsenal do kind of have a left-sided bias when they go forward, and she kind of tucks in a little bit, almost like that third centre-half at times, but like, you know, getting up on the overlap and supporting um, Beth in particular on that right-hand side, I think she's built a really strong connection with her. And and Noel Maritz is just someone you know. If a ball breaks down her side, like my 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 kind of um, my blood pressure goes down a little bit. You know, a bit like when Kim Little gets the ball and you go, ah, oh, she's not she's gonna, not going to lose it. It's fine. I kind of feel the same with Noel Maritz, and you know, she's taken on this season already. Um, you know, someone like Lauren Hemp. I don't think anyone's done a better job on Lauren Hemp than her. She was up against Leah Galton um, on Sunday, who's a fabulous winger, really difficult to deal with. No problem at all. No problem at all. I, I can't really think of a goal we've conceded down her side or a time I've thought, oh, you were a bit out of position there. Like, just close to faultless, um, actually. And she's another one of the players. There aren't many players that don't rotate out of the team, but she's one of them. I think she played seven games in a row recently before she got a rest against Kirsch. 
um, in the home game. And, and I think that tells you a lot about how Jonas sees her as well. And I'm, I'm delighted that we're seeing um, the best of her now because I was so excited when we signed her last season. And I was trying to say to people, we've signed one of Wolfsburg's starting wing backs. Like, this is big. This is big. And um, and she was, you know, she was injured and, and a little bit in and out of the team. But uh, for me, she's she's impressed me. I think I think the most um, actually this season. So definitely shout for Noel Maritz. But anyway, that speaking of Noel Maritz, actually, she's going to be on the podcast next week. Um, remember that alongside Steph Catley, and we'll have Chelsea perspective ahead of the FA Cup final at Wembley on Sunday, the fifth of December, and then. We will have a Barcelona preview pod uh, featuring Lotta Wubben Moy, um, and that will be out on Tuesday, the 7th of December. So, plenty of audio content coming your way. And obviously, we'll have all the usual written stuff on the site, the videos we've started doing now post match, and obviously, we'll do all of that at Wembley and at the Emirates as well. So, stick with Ask Blog News. And thank you so much for all of your questions and your interactions, etc., etc. Um, we're really, really happy with the quality of questions that come in. And that's why we do this mailbag. I, I must admit the first time we did it, we kind of thought, OK, let, let's see what comes in. But honestly, the quality and the variety of questions is so good that we can make a show of over an hour with no problem. And to be honest, they're quite low maintenance for us as well. So thank you for helping us to create that content. But um, Alex, thanks very much for your time and your insights as ever. No, pleasure as always. I'm looking forward to the next few weeks. And obviously you can follow Alex and you should follow Alex on Twitter at AlexIbaceta23. I nearly said 123. I always nearly say 123, but 23 um, on Twitter. And obviously we'll be back uh, next Wednesday with that pre-FA Cup final preview show. But until then, take care of yourselves and adios. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.